Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels part 39. We are still in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we left off with Jesus continuing to give examples of the inner workings of the Torah. The Torah that goes beyond the letter of the law and its intentions for the spirit of the law and how it affects the way that we see our relationship with God and our fellow human being, especially in this most recent examples of giving. Uh, What you do in secret will be shown to God and to the public, and whether you're going to be a hypocrite or an actor, you're doing these things to play the part, or you're doing them in order to further God's causes on earth, which will be rewarded. Um, And so he's going to continue to give examples going forward in the next verses that we're going to discuss today. Yeah, we were talking about those hypocrites. Yeah. And they're not not today's hypocrites. Yeah, and I was going to say they're not just Pharisees, too. That's right, that's right. Pharisee doesn't mean hypocrite. (laughs) All right, well, let's get going. We are in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's kind of cool. So again, uh, we've already joked, we got the hypocrites, the ones who are craving the attention, you know, that something about that they want to be puffed up or raised up or something, right? They they just want to be noticed. Now, in this case, though, we're talking about prayer now, and I don't know if you remember, Samuel, I mentioned that the practicing your righteousness, which, you know, they, Jesus summarized as charity, we said that was the first of three examples. Mm-hmm. Well, prayer is now the second in Jesus's group of three, so just hang on to that. We'll talk about that later. But now, okay, Samuel, having read this, I have to ask this question. Should we stop praying together publicly? Well, isn't there a whole book in the Bible that is meant for <laughs> the entire nation of people to pray together? It's the Psalms. Yeah, well, the thing is, there are people, and they're going to overread this. They're going to take it either literally or too literally, however you want to think of that. And they're going to think, oh, man, we shouldn't pray in public anymore. And if you think I'm being silly, I've actually met those people. I'm just saying. Now, here's the important part. There are times when we, as a gathering of his body, and and I don't know, maybe this is church, or maybe you have a prayer group, or, I mean, it could be any kind of gathering. 
we join together in prayer. And that's a good thing. It's That is not at all what is in view here. This is specifically regarding personal prayer. And the funny thing is, a lot of people would refer to it as your private prayers. Anyway, point is, don't put on a show. So first, you had giving or charity or practicing righteousness, and now you have prayer. But the principle that we're talking about, it's exactly the same. You need to keep it, to whatever degree it's possible, keep it between you and God. And, I mean, the thing, you could let other people just wonder about you. I mean, if you're really, really good at it, you might even let them think that you're just stingy and have no prayer life. <laughs> I mean, the, the point is you're not doing it for their good opinion. You're doing it for God's good opinion. Now, the thing is, he's not done talking about prayer. Let's keep going. Yeah, here we go. Uh, again, Matthew chapter 6, now we're at verse 7. says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, first it was, hey, careful about the way that you pray. Don't be doing the hypocrite thing. But now it's uh, it's more prayer instruction. And for what it's worth, notice that we've switched from talking about hypocrites. Now we're talking about Gentiles or the pagans, whatever. But let's talk about heaping up empty phrases. What we're talking about here, and this may actually even match some of your particular uh, Bible translations, whatever. We're talking about vain repetitions, meaningless repetitions. So here's my question, Samuel. Is a Jewish man saying the Shema every morning and evening, is that vain repetition? I mean, on paper, no. I I think it depends on the the person inwardly on how they're doing it. Sure. Yeah, you could have a guy who's, yeah, he's just going through the motions, right? For sure. But just looking at that from the outside, okay, no. We're not talking about consistent, repeated prayers or even, you know, a person's uh, faithfulness or loyalty to their own requests that are being made from God or declarations being made to God, etc. And and by the way, you know, we talk about Jewish people doing the Shema, or some people might look at whether it's, I don't know, Catholics or some of the some of the really traditional uh Protestant denominations like your Lutherans and Methodists and you know whatever. Okay. Don't be beaten up on liturgy. Liturgy is not a bad thing. It can be very, very good. Too. It's just like the Jewish man saying his Shema every morning and evening. See, the Shema, as an example, is anything but meaningless. Many of the prayers, the Jewish prayers, I mean, they have so much rich meaning. And to be fair, a lot of our Christian church kind of prayers, whatever they may be, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, whatever, they may also have a lot of real good meaning. And that's okay. This is about senseless repetition. 
And what that looked like in the day, first century, it's like saying the same phrase over and over and over again. Or you might think of like chanting mantras, you know, that sort of thing. Or you might think of they're saying the same things over and over, but they're adding the flourish of some sort of a special rhythm or maybe a melodic quality. And you know what? Sometimes they were even doing unintelligible, nonsensical babbling. Now, again, I'm describing what's going on in the first century, and I'm betting that there are some people who are listening, they've been to this church or that church or that group or whoever, who knows, whatever it might be, They've probably seen some of this stuff going on right there in a in like a Christian church, right? And it's just goofiness and it needs to stop. But why were they doing this in the first century? Well, the thinking behind it was something along the lines of they thought maybe they could pester their God enough that he would answer because he didn't want to be pestered, right? And this was very characteristic of the pagan religions of this time, of this place. And it was very distinct from what we see in Judaism. And for what it's worth, for the people that were hearing Jesus talk right now, it was very well known when Jesus spoke of it. It was obvious what he was referring to. Nobody was concerned, you know, that, I mean, okay, let's just be clear. Jesus was talking to a bunch of Jewish people, and none of them were sitting around going, oh, uh-oh, I wonder if I should quit. No, they knew he wasn't talking about that stuff. It's what the Gentiles were doing. Now, Paul, I have a difficulty with this that I need help with. Okay. So with this aspect of Jesus addressing this concept of people thinking that the nonsensical babbling could pester their God enough that they would answer, how how do we balance that with Jesus' parable of the persistent widow and I think one example in the Gospels is Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus seems to be painting this picture of bringing her request before a judge. Right. And it's almost like the um, faithfulness of those requests over and over and over again causes the judge to relent and answer yeah. the prayer. Yeah. Oh, Sam, that's such a great example. Okay, first of all, do you imagine that this woman was going to the judge every day saying, may I mamu dogface in the banana patch? <laughs> no. No, she wasn't pulling any Steve Martin on him, anything like that. She was going with a very clear request. It wasn't vain repetition. It wasn't senseless babble. It, it had meaning. It had value. But she was faithful going to him every day. And see, this, this is important. This is so great. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your requests can be simple, because God already knows what you need. There's no gimmick required. You don't have to repeat things over and over. You don't have to kind of sing song things or whatever. Just let it be sincere. It's a request to the one and only true provider of all things. And on one hand, we say it and we trust that he hears us. And on the other hand, we go to him faithfully and continually with those requests, even repeatedly, until we have our answer. Now, it's not always the answer we want, and you know we have to sort of pay attention to that, but 
do you see there's a, a difference from the 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 faithful offering of the request over and over versus just senseless babble, vain repetition, etc. Yeah, you're saying that one has substance and the other one doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And and in that parable, see the important thing about that parable is they were talking about an unrighteous judge and saying, hey, if this woman, you know, just goes and she's, at, let's just use the word, she's pestering him every day, even this unrighteous judge will eventually relent and give her what she wants just to make her go away. But the point isn't how much more it's like if this is, if the, if the little is true, like what Jesus has shown us, then how much more true is this thing that's even greater than that scenario? Exactly. If this unrighteous judge will even give in, how much more, and let's just say, how much sooner will a loving God answer your request, right? Yeah. That's the the point of the parable. But gotcha. anyway, that's a good question. Good question. Yeah, Anything else? Also made, yeah, it's made me think about, there's been times when like thinking about all the different people that are connected into my life that I feel like I'm called to try to pray for their needs, whether they're in a situation or just their welfare in general. And oftentimes I get overwhelmed by thinking of the sheer amount of people that I know that need prayer. And oftentimes I get so overwhelmed that like no prayer happens because I like (laughs) get exhausted from it. So is, is Jesus talking about this and that having to feel like we need to list every person's name and think about them personally going through you know our prayer life on on the daily like if if god truly does know and he knows that our heart is inclined to the people that we're connected to and wanting him to be intervening on their behalf like is that heart's inclination like enough of a prayer for him or does it need to be more specific? Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't think that there's an actual rule, if you will. I think I know exactly the thing that you're talking about when I have people on, uh, you know, uh, our prayer list, whatever, uh, and I pray for them for a while. After a while, it starts to feel, you know, okay, it's not like God doesn't know, right? And we will, we'll abbreviate, we'll say Things like, uh, Lord, you know the requests on our list, you know these people, and, you know, we just ask you to continue to remember them. Uh, you know, our requests, we, we want to keep them before you, or something like that, instead of going through each name and each request and all that. And then after we've done that for a little bit, we'll go back and we might be more specific, because that weird feeling of being too repetitive is worn off, and it, it's just a... A personal thing that, that again, we go back to that point. Your your requests can be simple. God already knows before you even ask, and yet at the same time, you don't want to be like, "Well, God, you know everything." So, uh, Amen. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> somewhere in there. It's you know, this is a it's a, it's a personal time between you and God, and and you can sort of just play with that. Yeah. Just be yourself. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, so uh, now here's the thing, Samuel. We're still not done talking about prayer. My goodness. Yeah, Jesus has got more to say. So let's go to 
Matthew, well, uh, let's do Luke's first. So we got Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and we also have Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. So let me go ahead and read the Luke one. It'll sound like a repeat, but there's some extra that's worth hearing. So Luke 11, 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So, obviously, we know this is the Lord's Prayer, and that's like the the short, weird version that nobody ever repeats. So now we'll go do the Matthew version, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray like this, then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you may be looking at your Bibles, and you also have this extra little bit, something like, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we'll talk about that, uh, but it's missing from some of your Bibles because the basic story is they don't think that was part of the original text. But let's talk about some things. Uh, Number one, remember in Luke's version, it was the thing about the disciples asking him, hey, Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Samuel, do you think his disciples actually did not know how to pray? Thinking about their culture, I, it, would, it would be shocking if they yeah. didn't know. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Of course they did. But he wa- they wanted something specific from him. And so the thing that we wouldn't normally know about is that it was very common for a a master, a teacher, to give his disciples, his students, a, you know, like a signature prayer or a team prayer, so to speak. And this was customarily added to the end of their daily prayers. And as you can see, John the Baptist obviously gave his disciples one, and Jesus' disciples wanted one too. And so he gave them one, and this was, you know, reasonably common, one that summed up the story of all creation, this age, the age to come, all that kind of thing. But if we could, let's just take a moment, and this is so important. We have, along the way, we've tried to highlight the humanity of Jesus, um, never denying his divinity, his, his, his God-ness, but to highlighting his humanity. And here's another one where you see him he is, he's being so very Jewish. So this prayer, the pattern of this prayer was very similar to other existing prayers in, Ju- in Judaism. They, they also, they had like a, a formula to them. They were formulaic. 
And it went something like this. You had an address to God, for example, and then there were seven petitions. Three of them were intended to be kind of universal in nature, and four of them were intended to be kind of practical or or local in nature, and then it finished up with a doxology. And you can see that's exactly what we have here. We'll, We'll walk through it so you can see it better. This is, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> Jesus was living the Judah loca. You know what I'm saying? My word, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing it. He's just being very Jewish. So here we go. Let's walk through this prayer. And by the way, I get it. Jesus is the one that made it up and gave it to his disciples. But seriously, whose prayer is this, Samuel? Who's it for? Who's going to use it? Oh, uh, his disciples? Yeah. It's kind of weird that we call it the Lord's Prayer when it's like, okay, here, I'll give you this. So he gives them a prayer, and instead of calling it the Disciples' Prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. Anyway, here we go. So the first line, Our Father. Now, here's something you read over so quickly and easily, Samuel. Did you notice that it's plural? Hmm. That is an interesting detail. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be a public prayer. It was for the group. It was to be prayed together. And then also even notice it says, you know, not our Yahweh or whatever. It says our father. He's he's using words to avoid saying God's name. Interesting. But then it's our father in heaven so that it's perfectly clear It's the one and only true God, the one who is outside of all creation, the one who is transcendent, the one who created all things, right? Our Father in heaven. So now we know who we're talking about. That's the address. And now we're going to do three petitions that are kind of universal. The first one is, hallowed be your name. And I'm going to do something kind of sneaky tricky here, Samuel. I'm going to say, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Because I want you to keep that in view here. I know we haven't gotten there yet, technically, but anyway, keep it in view. But many people read that, and it's not a word. How many times, Samuel, do you walking around saying that something is hallowed? Very rarely. I'm going to go with zero <laughs> for me. I have I have heard some like college basketball rivalries going into the opponent's home arena and saying walking on hallowed ground in this historic rivalry oh all right you got me on that one that's good that's good so so what does it mean what are we even saying when we say hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven may your name be kept separate not common may your good character and your reputation be known and maintained. And, I mean, cool thing, looking back through all the scriptures, very, very often God acts on behalf of his own name. The end of the big story, final redemption. That's going to be the ultimate sanctification of his name. So, we need to protect it. Make it separate, not common, good character, reputation, all that stuff. Yeah? Definitely. Then, hallowed be your name. It says, 
your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This this is the goal of the story. Your kingdom come. It's it's the goal since the garden. What's all of this Sermon on the Mount been about, Samuel? Just generally? It's about what kingdom life is supposed to look like. Yeah, kingdom. What is Jesus' gospel message? Repent, because the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The goal of the story since the garden has been the kingdom. It took a while for people to kind of see it in the scriptures, to understand it, right? It was a little bit progressive revelation, but Jesus, he's the king, the king of this kingdom. He's right there among them. His kingdom, it's its right there. It's almost within reach, which, by the way, is that any different from today, Samuel? It shouldn't be. Now the kingdom's right there. And that's the real point. The kingdom already is, in one sense, and, you know, we usually label that like in the spiritual or in the heavenlies, uh, but it hasn't come to its fulfillment here on earth. That's where we get that phrase all the time, the now and the not yet. So your kingdom come, we should desire every aspect of the kingdom now. We should be praying for it as we are instructed here. We should be pursuing it in our lives, with our very lives. And this isn't, it's not like we're praying for God to make it happen as much as we're praying for God to make it happen through us. I mean, God's already done the work through Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. It's, that's all happened. We still pray this because we want that kingdom to come through us and our lives. I will say that that first thing about asking God to make it happen is still a good thing to ask for. Um, and Sure. Um, from some of the stuff I've read about Jewish thought in their prayer life is that if I'm comparing their prayers about the kingdom versus what, what I've experienced within the church, they're blowing it out of the water in terms of praying for the kingdom, praying that the kingdom is coming through their own lives. And if we had a fraction of their fervor, like there's no telling what the world could be today, um, and I don't know, I feel like part of that's because they treat the kingdom as this actual thing that can be grasped and experienced yeah. and not this like suspended ethereal thing that is hard to relate to that I feel like a lot of people in the church are experiencing now about the kingdom. Yeah, the church has a tendency to over-spiritualize the important practical things, and then on the other hand, they don't get the spiritual things the way they should. But yes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And yeah, we do want God to bring it to fruition. But again, we we want to play our role in that. It's the it's tikkun olam. What's that mean, Samuel? Fixing of the world. Yeah. Yeah, we want to be a part of that. And now the final of the 3, these are the three universal ones. So it was hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and now your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, and this is kind of the same story, be done by us, through us, right? When you're praying the Lord's Prayer, or we could call it the Disciples' Prayer, 
Remember, don't be putting it all on God like he's got to do. You want to be a part of this, be done by us, by through us, uh, done through us. We pray for it. And this is another thing, Samuel. Why are we praying these three things? Well, because it's not already so. Are you going to pray for something that's already done? No, you, you want these things to come to pass. And let's just be honest. There is a sense in which, or at least some degree to which, we're the reason that his will isn't being done. And therefore, we must also be or become the reason that it is being done. So in a sense, you could think of this part of the prayer, it's, it's like a prayer for help or enablement. You don't, don't pray for this and then not seriously pursue it. That would make you, you know, a modern day hypocrite. You see what I'm saying? And again, it's not so much about God making his will be done. The, the, the prayer request here is make it happen through us. Help us to do this thing. And now, let's talk about it for real. On earth, as it is in heaven. So all of those things already happening in heaven, we want them to be here on earth. It's, it's this idea of bringing the story to an end. Bringing an end to sin. Bringing an end to death. So that, so that God may dwell with man here in creation. These first items, well... They kind of are the gospel story. His kingdom here on earth plus true obedience to God's will, and it's all for his name's sake. It's big time. Yeah. And so then in the formula, we go, we're going to continue with petitions, but now we move from the universal to more like the local and practical things. So the next one is our daily bread. Now, this one is so interesting, Samuel. I... I hope I can get this to come across uh, the way it's in my head. So number one, our daily bread. Obviously, we can think of this as providing for our, our basic needs. We get that part. But what I'd like you to do is get this image in your head. I want you to think about when they were wandering around in the wilderness and God was providing manna. And I'm sure you're familiar with this story, Samuel. I'm sure you remember kind of how it worked. They woke up each day and the manna had arrived with the dew. And so they were able to collect it in the morning. It was the first thing that they did. And they had what they needed for the remainder of that day. It was their daily bread. And that is an important image to, I think, associate with this portion of the prayer. But then it goes even further. Samuel, do you remember what happened on Fridays? Wasn't there a double portion so that they wouldn't have to collect it on the Sabbath? Yeah, God didn't want them collecting on the Sabbath, so they were able to collect twice as much on Friday as they needed. That way they'd have it for two days. They had enough for tomorrow. And the reason that's interesting is because the phrase behind the phrase, if you know what I'm saying, for our daily bread, it could be read or stated as our bread of tomorrow, which is a really cool connection to 
that extra bread that was collected on Friday for Saturday. But what's interesting about this, think about it. You're collecting your manna in the morning so you have everything you need for the rest of the day. Or one day a week, you actually were able to collect for tomorrow. It's almost as if in this portion of the prayer, you know, Jesus is kind of hinting or saying or something. It's okay to ask for what you need. And I don't know how else to say this except like kind of on the front side of your need instead of waiting till all hope is gone. Now, we all know, maybe we've experienced it, we've seen others experience it, we've heard stories of people who experience it. There are times when it, your life, you, you have a very, 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 very real need. You don't know what you're going to do, and you think that time has run out on the clock, or it just it, it's too late, it's impossible, it's never going to happen, and somehow, somehow, God comes through. Now, Samuel, is that an awesome thing to see and experience? Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's great. Do you want to live like that all the time? <laughs> I don't think so. No, nobody does. It's it's great when it happens. And yeah, sometimes God is like that. But this particular portion of the prayer, it's kind of like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to want to have you know, enough time to avoid that potential anxiousness and all that stuff. I don't know. I just love that little part of the prayer. It makes me feel better, you know, that I don't have to be like so incredibly trusting that even when it's, you know, time out on the clock, I'm still going, it's okay. God will come through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Jesus could be touching on the aspect about today? that we have with our lives is really the only thing that we have promised to us because we don't know what God has in store for our story tomorrow. And he could be saying like, since today is a gift and you're not guaranteed tomorrow, like ask God for what you need to live out the day that you're given. Oh, yeah. That fits very well with some of the prayers that Jews would say in the morning when they get up, right? But yeah, yeah. Uh, So where does he go next? Forgive us our debts, all right? Now, uh, we've already talked about this. we've, We've had some things where Jesus has already used the symbolism of being a debtor to one that you have wronged. And, and we know, uh, on one hand, we are debtors before God, and similarly, we can be debtors before men, because maybe we've wronged them in some way. Now, we know with confession and repentance, he is willing to forgive that debt. God is, right? And so we're asking him, forgive us our debts. And if that was the end of it, that'd be kind of, you know, ordinary almost. It, 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 that's just That's a big part of the story already, but it doesn't end there. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Like the whole request, I mean, this one's conditional. It's like we're laying it on ourselves every time we pray this. We must first forgive those who have wronged us. And then... We ask God to use the same measure 
with us. Remember how we've talked about measure for measure? Mm-hmm. Right? That, so we're, it's like we're asking for it. God, treat us that way. And in a sense, it's, it's kind of like a twist on that saying, do unto others as you would have God do unto you. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk more about this below because this, this little part of the prayer is very important. Um, but let's go ahead and try to get to the end of it just because I, I don't want to interrupt it too much. Can, you, can I interrupt? <laughs> Please. Really yeah. Yeah. Just this is a nugget from one of Marty Solomon's teachings that I think can help paint this portion of the Lord's Prayer really well. Um, Marty points out that the structure of this, like you said, how it's com- a common framework for Jewish prayers to uh, a master giving to his students, but officially there's a Jewish prayer called the Amidah that like, collectively the whole nation pray prays together uh, each week throughout the entire calendar year. And Marty suggests that like almost word for word, if you went digging within the Amidah, that you would find pretty much the entirety of the Lord's Prayer yeah. within there so there's kind of a two thing twofold part with that i'll go really quickly the first thing is that like jesus is kind of telling his disciples like you don't have to make prayer this like special gnostic thing where you have to attain the special knowledge in order to communicate with god he's saying like use the cultural framework that you're already accustomed to that you already know like that is adequate for you to be able to commune with God and to give requests to him and for him to hear that. But the the second thing that I think is really cool, and I haven't done enough digging on it, is that he suggests that there is no place in the Amidah with this commonality with the Lord's Prayer where it says, um, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and that there is this Jewish thought that forgiveness is only something that happens between humanity and God and that you're like crossing a boundary when you're trying to look at it among like an X axis between you and someone else. And like if Marty was saying that if you were in the crowd hearing Jesus say that it would have just been this wow factor to say like, Oh my gosh, like you want me to take it a step further? Like I already have enough (laughs) problem with me and God and now you want me to take care of it with my brother that's wronged me and me has me wronged them so it's just super cool yeah I'm glad you brought it up and uh, when we get to the other part we're going to talk about some of that I may or may not complicate (laughs) what you just said but we're going to see when we get there But let's go on. We'll we'll go ahead and see if we can uh, finish up the prayer anyway. Uh, The next line is, lead us not into temptation. And now, okay, we know that God does not tempt. And and when we say that word tempt, we're going to try to be really specific. And and that means entice to sin. God doesn't do that. And you can read about that. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. But we also know that God does test or or allow testing. And this prayer, lead us not into temptation, it's, it's a prayer to keep us from hardship, trouble, misfortune, 
but not just entirely. It, the, the idea behind it is to keep us from those things because they may move us from testing to temptation, right? That testing, that's a tricky business, and, and, and it could make us further susceptible to sin. And so lead us not into that. So, so that's kind of a cool little part. And then it says, deliver us from evil. And, and that's kind of, I, I think, very, very connected to the lead us not into temptation. What if we do find ourselves in that place of temptation? Whether it's, I don't know, normal circumstance, or maybe it's a, a testing that we're, you know, teetering on failure or something. If we find ourselves in a place of temptation, this final part of the prayer requests that he rescue us from that and everything that's in opposition to him, whether it's, you know, from within or from without, whatever. And then the, the part about the kingdom power and glory, the, the doxology at the end, uh, again, it's, it's unlikely that it was part of the original. We have enough uh, evidence. It doesn't seem that it's so. Uh, somebody added it. We'll just call it an editor or a scribe, whatever. Uh, but you know what? It's a nice little doxology to finish it off. And for whatever it's worth, it actually completes the formula of the prayer that we've been talking about. And so whether you have it in your version, you don't have it, it doesn't really matter. It's not hurting anything with it's there. In fact, it's k- kind of good. I mean, I would prefer generally that people don't add things to the scripture, but you know, this, this, I, you know, whatever, it's good. All right, so we made it through the prayer itself, but then Jesus is now going to go back and focus on that thing we were talking about, Samuel. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hmm. Yeah? So let's see what he says about it. Yeah. All right. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Any living Christian who doesn't feel the weight of that statement I, well, all I can say is more power to you because you must be awesome. I, that, this is the calling. And, and we, we've made this joke before. What's this thing about Christianity being a crutch? Mm. <laughs> yeah, try and live out those two verses. That's not crutch-like. But here we go, here we go. Let's see. First, okay, this, Jesus has already finished the prayer and now he adds this little bit on the end. So it's important to note that this is pointing back to a specific part of the prayer, the part where he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, uh, and then we talked about the fact that, you know, teachers or masters given their disciples, their students, a prayer. This This was common. It was formulaic. And here's the thing. It's possible, and many suggest this was true, and Samuel just talked about it, like what Marty was talking about. This particular portion was unique in this day and in this time. It's, and how do we know this? 
Well, Jesus says the prayer, and then he he actually feels like he needs to add this to the end to explain why he put it in there. Right? Jesus is providing further explanation for his disciples. So this was something that was a little bit outside the box. And it's it's this whole idea of forgive to be forgiven. And as we've mentioned, it's another way of uh, implementing, if you will, this idea of measure for measure. The same measure we use, well, that's what's going to be measured back to us. And you can, you can, I think, in your mind, you can easily relate this back to eye for eye and tooth for tooth. What was the phrase, the modern American phrase that we used to, to explain what eye for eye and tooth for tooth really meant, Samuel? Um, it's like the punishment fits the offense that you've done. Yeah, let the punishment fit the crime. That's what eye for eye and tooth for tooth was. Well, this is very similar. And if we could reword it, we might say something like, let the reward fit the merit. You see what I'm saying? It's uh, mm-hmm. There's like a negative example and a positive example with it, that. Exactly. Yeah. And so forgive to be forgiven. It's measure for measure. Let the reward fit the merit that you've uh, accrued or whatever you want to call it. But now here's the part where I throw a little wrench in it, Samuel. Jesus isn't saying something new. Now, the fact that, that he's included it in this prayer, and, and I think, uh, you know, scholars and, and all the other, all the things that they research or whatever, they, they have determined that this was a rather unique thing for this prayer but it wasn't a unique and unheard of thought. That's what I mean when I say Jesus, Jesus isn't saying something new. At least a hundred years before Jesus, and now you got to forgive my pronunciations here, there was this guy, Yeshua. Whoa, what about that? His first name was Yeshua. Yeshua ben Sirah or Sirah or something, right? He said this, and in fact, Samuel, I'm going to let you read it. It's in... Sirach 28, verses 2 to 4. Forgive your neighbor the offense he has committed against you. So too shall your sins be forgiven when you pray. Can a man bear hatred against another and seek forgiveness from the Lord? Can a man be merciless towards another man like himself and then ask forgiveness for his own sins? Yeah. Doesn't that sound exactly like what we're talking about? Here's another one. I mean, let's just, uh, Jesus's brother, James, says a very similar thing in James 2.13. Why don't you read that one, Samuel? For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah. Now, obviously, James is talking about mercy, but same idea. So this thought wasn't new in and of itself. So, I uh, this isn't to to you know cause a problem or disagreement or anything like that. It's just to show. Look, Jesus really, like no one else, had a handle on what it was to walk and live Torah. 
He understood what it was to be obedient to God, what God was really looking for. And it's always interesting, but also important to note how in so many cases, Jesus isn't inventing something out of new cloth. That would be whole cloth. Thank you very much. Uh, he's, he's often repeating things that were already in the conversation of the time. And that's what's, that's what's going on here. Uh, adding it into this prayer was obviously unique, and Jesus had to explain it, but still, it's, it's a cool thing. And I don't feel like the wrench that you're saying, I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that. I feel like that you and I both have done a good job in today's session, like kind of pushing back on some of these thoughts to look at both sides of the page. But I I think that absolutely this not being a new teaching that that can fit in line with the Jewish thought in that day with the the leadership and how they were trying to interpret the law, mm-hmm. the decisions that they made on what to focus on, yeah, and then what to like ignore. And in my mind, I'm thinking like this aspect of forgiving your neighbor. I mean, not only like when you started this this whole tome about forgiveness and how it's not a crutch. Like as hard as it is for us to do in modern day culture like within their hierarchy and their system, like I can't imagine how difficult of attention it must have been for them. So like it it makes logical sense to think about it being something that they're kind of like putting on the back burner or trying to kind of suppress because of how difficult it is for them to address. Yeah. (laughs) And Jesus is kind of like bringing that back to the forefront to be like, no, like you're not allowed to ignore this. Like you need to be treating this with the same fervor as you do, like bringing your gifts to the altar or or whatever example you want to throw in there. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Like that example a lot. Yeah. And the way you said it was really good because that is so much of what we see Jesus doing and this relates to, you know, that it's not like he's doing all these new things. In everything, he was trying to bring people back to the original. It wasn't, hey, I've got this new thing for you. It was, look, this is Torah. This is what it was about. This is what you should be doing. And it was correcting and and uh, bringing priorities back the way they should be and all that kind of stuff. That is the, the a, a really good, just general image of what Jesus and his life even represented, uh, other than the mm-hmm. obvious, you know, death, resurrection, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah, that's good. More? No, I'm ready for us to put a nice little bow on this and All right. figure out where we're going next. Yeah, so so just to, maybe just to kind of summarize this up, so we've got the prayer and the emphasis on the forgiveness, etc. But see, this this all fits very nicely within the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we've noted that it's it's calling us to forego our rights and our privileges and our comfort and our ease. And we do all of that in this life because we anticipate the life to come, the, the goodness of the life to come. We, we want to be imitators of God the Father. And I'm going to go back. Now, every human 
you know, just in their basic essence, they are created as an image of God. But our task, our goal is to actually be in the image of God, like walk it out. And that's that thing of being imitators of God. And this is, I mean, everything we've been talking about from, from the point when, you know, he started talking about abolishing and fulfilling and no jot or tittle will go away. And, but then it was like, Hey, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the the scribes and Pharisees. And all of this has been explaining how, how can that be so? Because that was a really high bar. It was going to be really hard. Well, this is it. You walk out your righteousness in this way. Uh, But anyway, that's it on that bit. Uh, And I think our next section, yeah, we're going on to fasting and stuff like that. So uh, we don't have time for that one. No way. (laughs) Until then, we throw our... uh crutches to the curb and we put on our boxing gloves oh, and get God. in the fight yeah <clears throat> yeah high calling i don't know how else to say it it's just a real thing all right samuel unless you got something else i think that we are done okie dokie thanks for listening to the okie dokie Boast podcast Please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you're notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. We also would really appreciate it if you left a rating and a review on your podcasting app to let us know how this content is impacting your life. Our content is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. We also have a website. Please check us out at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. And finally, we would love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments you have at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we hope and we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.